Proverbs chapter number 19, that's where we're at, just starting on this chapter, and uh, so, you know, we it's always uh, kind of a kind of a new experience when you get to a new chapter. Sometimes I, uh, you know, I, I start wondering uh, when we spend a lot of time in one of the chapters, you know, well, are they getting tired of this chapter or what, you know, and so uh, we, we don't want it to ever get to that point we want it to be something fresh and new and but I do have a bit of a quandary here tonight uh, because it's smooth going down to verse 3 and I don't know if I can get through with verse 3 in the next 45 minutes or hours so I'm telling you I'm saying all that to say this we're not going to get past verse 3 so uh, but I think we'll get to it. Verse number one, better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a, a fool. You know, in this chapter, and well, in a lot of different places in the Bible, but in this chapter especially, he speaks a lot about poverty. The word poor is used five times just here in this one chapter. And so uh, as we see here in this verse here, as he's talking about those that are poor, and, and we learn something I think that is amazing and noteworthy that we never want to forget, and that is that poverty might just be the state of somebody who has integrity. Now keep that in mind, because a lot of folks in the world today, you know, they think if you're anybody, you're going to be a somebody. And uh, that, you know, well, if you don't have a big title and a lot of money in the bank or whatever, well, you're a nobody. But it's very clear. Notice he's talking about somebody that's poor, and yet they walk in their integrity. And so he's wanting us to know that you can be poor and a person of integrity. And, and, and also, I think there's another lesson there, and that's the fact that integrity does not always lead to wealth. You, you know, a person can be very poor and yet be a, a spiritual giant. Now, that person might be poor and yet a very godly person uh, in it, because of at least two things. Number one, the circumstances. You know, you and I can make a lot of choices in life. But God is the one that's working behind the scenes that puts the pieces together. And uh, they don't always turn out the way that we plan. And God changes the circumstances to where we never arrive at the destination that we're seeking. But because God is so much smarter than we are and because God knows so much more than we do as a result of that, God just does what he knows is the right thing to do. So there have been a lot of times that due to circumstances that God ordained, people have been forced to live in what we would say is poverty. Uh, They're poor people, but very godly people nevertheless. Now, there's another thing. This might not have anything to do with circumstances. It might be because of choice. Some people make the choice that, you know, that, and I'm talking about somebody that is godly, somebody that loves the Lord, somebody that's deeply concerned about others. And there have been those that have given away their fortunes. I, I, there have been different missionaries that uh, 
Uh, I think it was C.T. Studd, if I remember right, was the one that had inherited a large sum of money, and he went out and gave it all away in, in just about one day and went to the mission field. And his wife didn't understand it. Nobody understood it. But but he he understood it because he knew when he went there, he wanted to do so with a sense of dependency upon God and not relying upon what he had in the bank. He wanted to live a life of uh, walking in faith, and that's what he did. So there are times when people make certain choices that will put them, what we might say, in the poverty class, but that's all right with them because they would rather give away what they have. I remember several years ago when I was pastoring just across the river from Cincinnati there in a little place called Ludlow, Kentucky, and had a had a young man there that I, he was probably uh, maybe 18, 20 years old, something like that, and he trusted Christ as his Savior, and he was a new Christian, and uh, uh, you know, uh, he was excited. He wanted to do anything God wanted him to do. And he started reading those verses about, you know, the Lord talking to his apostles about if you've got two coats, take one of them, give it to somebody. And so st- he started doing stuff like that. Well, finally, his daddy came to talk to me and said, uh, you know, we we got to do something. This kid's gone off the deep end and, and, and what have you. And he's just giving away stuff right and left, and uh, he just can't do enough. That's all he wants to do is go out here and help people. And, uh, and, and, and you and I both realize that we can misunderstand some things in the Bible and uh, get ourselves in trouble. But but here was a kid whose intentions was was good. He wanted to do what was right. I don't know that he did anything wrong, by the way. Uh, he might have been doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And uh, anyway, I told the dad, uh, to, I'll try to make a long story short, you know, you ought to be proud of your son, number one, that he knows Christ as his Savior, number two, that he is serious about serving him. And I tried to be, you know, diplomatic and loving and kind, and I, I felt like saying to his daddy, what kind of an example has he had? Have you ever given anybody anything, you know? Have you ever helped the poor? Have you ever assisted the needy or anything? But, you know, I, I didn't want to go there. I was my my nice, sweet self, and... Uh, but, um, but but that's the point I'm trying to make. A person can be a person of integrity and be poor either because of circumstances or because of the choice that he makes. And so the point is you can have a high character and a low income. Now, notice this verse here tells us that integrity with poverty is better, notice, than riches without integrity the the problem is most most people don't know what's most important uh you know you go out and talk to the average person on the street and they they'd rather have a truckload of money than uh than to have integrity you know that they, they don't care much about improving their character, but they think a lot about increasing their income. And uh, a lot of people, you know, that will resort to every underhanded trick in the book to get what uh, they want, and they don't care who they hurt in the process. And, and, and yet they care nothing about uh, helping others whatsoever, care nothing about uh, their lack of character. And so the Lord's reminding us that, that it's better to be living in poverty with integrity uh, than somebody that 
you know, that has made it in this world and yet their character is lacking. Verse 2 also, that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. Now notice that since this word starts with the word also, that's a key word there because it's telling us that it is connected with what has gone before. And so if we're going to understand this verse, we've got to look back at the last verse. And he says, also that soul that be without knowledge, it is not good. So this is another reminder that knowledge is important. In fact, knowledge is more important than riches is. And yet, you know, I fear that a lot of people don't uh, value education as highly as they should. I can take you to some places in the deep south where they think it's almost a sin or a crime if the pastor is educated. They, you know, they, uh, kind of like the, the one young preacher, you know, that had gone off to Bible college and seminary and he was in his first pastorate and doing a great job and everything, but you know, he was uh, Mr. Fancy Pants as far as the old timers were concerned. They didn't really like him. And finally, one of the old deacons stopped him out there and said, Son, he said, I tell you what, the Lord, Lord ain't got no, no use for all your high learning and education. And the young man looked at him and said, Nor has he any use for your ignorance either, you know. So, uh, and, and that's the truth. I, I, there are people that resent, that resent Education, they really do. I, I know that sounds weird, but it's the truth. And uh, the Lord remind us of the importance of knowledge. And if if you stop and think, when we talk about knowledge, that encompasses a lot of different things, right? So we think about increasing our knowledge of God. Number one, we need a knowledge of God. A lot of people don't have any knowledge of God. Uh, they They live in ignorance all of their life. They've heard somebody say, well, you know, one religion is just as good as another, and I'm happy with what I believe, and so if I'm satisfied with it, you know, that's got to be good enough and, and stuff like that. Uh, and they have no real knowledge of God. There are a lot of people that go to church every week, you know, that sing religious songs and listen to sermons, but they really don't have any knowledge of God. And uh, that, that's that's the amazing and the sad thing. I've often said, if you want to really do a study in the Bible that will, will really not only help you but thrill your heart, study the attributes of God. And you, you think about all of His attributes. Those are the things that, that show us what God is. That He is a God of love. That He is faithful. He's all powerful. He's omniscient. That is, He knows everything. And you just look at all of those things. And we, we never get to the point that we can stop learning about God but when we talk about knowledge we need to know even more than than about God we need to have a knowledge of human nature we need to know ourselves. we we need you know and, and and a lot of times we don't we we have no idea you, know, you talk to the average person on the street and they don't you know they have no idea as to how a man is made up that we are made in the image of God. There's three parts. We have a body, but the body's not us, right? 
We also have a soul, and the soul is the inner part of us, and that soul is the seat of self-consciousness. It's the part, you know, that knows and thinks and feels and stuff like that. But then on the most inner part of our being is our spirit. That's the part of us that is God-conscious. That that sets us apart from the animals of the earth. We have a consciousness of God there. Now, whenever a person, the natural person, before they've been saved, that part of them is dead, it's lifeless, it's separated from God. But the moment that we trust Christ as our Savior, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell and we are infused with life because now God is living in us. And we need to know all we can about ourselves that's that's important we need to understand something about our nature you know our old nature is a sinful nature that that you know i've often said we're not sinners because we sin we sin because we're sinners well in other words we're just doing what we are and that's true of, of every person by nature but something happens when the lord saves us the lord makes us a new creature and all of a sudden the old nature the old nature dies, so to speak, and there is a now a new nature. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of like the Indian talking about it. He felt like there was two dogs inside of him, a black one and a white one, and they were always fighting, and somebody asked which one won, and he said, one I feed the most. And, uh, and so if you're a Christian, even though you might not understand it, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because there is that conflict going on within you. Before I was saved, uh, hardly anything really bothered me unless it was hurting me. I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you what a rotten, low life I was. I uh, uh, didn't bother me to punch somebody in the nose. didn't bother me to break in their house and steal what they had. None of that bothered me because I was getting something out of it, you know. Uh, as long as I didn't get hurt, I didn't really care. And it wasn't until I come to know Christ as my Savior that all of a sudden everything began to matter to me. And all of a sudden, you know, I could not do things that, that, that are wrong without the Holy Spirit convicting me of that. And so I become a totally different person than I was. And the, you see, the better you understand yourself, the better or more able you are to deal with things like temptation, discouragement, and stuff like that. You know, if we really understand ourselves, for example, we realize that even in our present state, we don't deserve anything. The thing that gets us all bent out of shape, that makes us worry, makes us fret, uh, is the fact when things go wrong and we don't understand it and we feel like we're not getting a fair shake, that, you know, it's just isn't fair. God let this happen to me and God let that happen to me. And, 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 and the problem is we keep thinking we deserve more, bigger, and better when we don't. And, and if, we, if we ever get it in our mind that, we, listen, we don't deserve anything. And, and so if we don't deserve anything, then we ought to be thankful for everything that we have. You see, and so understanding yourself, that we need that knowledge. Not only that, this could go on and on. We need a knowledge of history, I think. I think that's important. I've often said I wish, oh man, back whenever I was in school, I wish I had realized the importance of education 
and I know we got some history buffs here, you know, in 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 the church. And uh, uh, Jeff Maxey is uh, he's a, a history buff. Jason is a Civil War history buff, and and, and Fred, Fred Scott and John, I know they're well versed in history and different ones. And and it's kind of embarrassing to me sometimes to realize I don't know as much about history as I ought to. And the reason I don't is because. Well, I was hanging out in the pool halls. I wasn't, you know, I, rather than being in class, I was down at the pool hall. And uh, so, But listen, history is important because like somebody said, you know, if you don't learn from it, you're going to repeat it. And we think about what's going on here in America. If we had a brain in our head and if we just looked at history, we'd realize that our government cannot do what it's doing and our nation survive. But we listen, we have a generation of people today that, I don't know any other way to say it, that are ignorant. I was writing an article today, and I was talking about the fact that we have moved from what is called the greatest generation. Uh, that, that generation is now gone. The greatest generation is gone. We're living in the give me generation. Give me this. Give me that. Let me tell you what's coming next. In fact, it's here. It's coming fast, growing fast, and that's that's the groaning generation the groaning and the moaning and the uh nothing's ever right they're they're worried the gloomy maybe that'd be a better word how the gloomy generation whenever i was in germany several years ago and ingrid knows this better than i do but i had the missionary let me out downtown i said i want to know what it's like you know, just to be downtown here, I'm in a different country. I don't know anybody. I, I can't speak their language. I and and so I'll get on this. Is it the Strasbon? Is that the streetcar? Strasbon, something like that. And uh, I said, you show me which one to get on, and I'll get on it. And I I know where to get off. And so I did that. But when I got back, he said, What did you think? And I said, Well, I got a question. I said, Why is everybody? Nobody smiles. There's nobody smiling, nobody laughing. There's no joy. I said, even the mannequins have this weird frown on their face. And really? And he, he said, you don't understand. He said, you know, uh, these people, the, the, because of the war and uh, in that one little town there, he said nothing was left standing except some kind of a statue or something out there in the middle of the town. Everything else was leveled. And those people just naturally, as a result of that, they they live with that cloud of gloom hanging over them. It was the way he explained it. And I, I'm telling you, folks, listen. That that's where we're headed here in America today. And we need to have an understanding of history because we're we are repeating it. We need to have an understanding of current events. I've heard people. I've even heard preachers preach little sermonettes on, you know, we just, we shouldn't watch TV and we shouldn't read the newspaper. That's all a waste of time. Well, Daniel knew what was going on. He kept up with the current events. He wasn't any dummy. He knew exactly what was going on. I think we need to know what was going on. As somebody said years ago, and I jotted it down, ignorance is the field on which the quackery of a political imposter ever reaps its most abundant harvest. I won't repeat that, but I hope that you got it. But 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 boy, I, I tell you, it's it's dead on ignorance. And we, th- we, you hear Rush Limbaugh and some of them talk about, you know, the, uh, 
uh, what, what's the word he used? The, is it the low-informed voters or something? Low-information voter. And listen, he's telling you the truth. If you don't believe that, go out here to some college campus and do one of those interviews, you know, and, and stop stop some of those kids out there. Now, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Well, I'm this or I'm that. Uh, why? And, and and you'll soon find out they don't even know who the vice president is. They have they don't have a clue of what's going on. They don't have any any knowledge of our history. They they know absolutely nothing whatsoever. Now, this is why it's important because as the Lord said, He said, "My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge." That's Hosea four six. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now listen carefully, because thou has rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee. That's a scary thought, isn't it? God said, because you reject knowledge, I'm going to reject you. And we live in a world that is confused and um, confused beyond anything that we can comprehend. And um, Charles Bridges wrote in 1840, without it, that is knowledge, man has no directory for his ways, no remedy for his sins, no support in his trouble, no strength for his duties, no hope in the end. And, and boy, that's true. We have got to have knowledge if we're going to survive as a nation or a people. But notice what the, 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 what, what he says here, the, the entire verse, not just part of it. He says, also, the soul that be without knowledge is not good, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. And the, and the first time I read that, I, I thought to myself, well, what in the world is that all about? He that hasteth with his feet sinneth. And I not only was confused, I was a little bit embarrassed because I have a tendency to get in a hurry. You know, Bevel, uh, uh <laughs> I'll scramble eggs occasionally, very, very occasionally, but that that's where my area of expertise is when it comes to cooking. I, I scramble eggs better than anybody, really. You think I'm joking, but that's I, I like mine better than anybody. Don't ever add me up to scramble eggs. Don't, oh. But, but anyway, I, I can just I can just scramble a bunch of eggs and. and, and I, I got stuff stringed all over the place. I make a mess out of everything. And, and she said, you just get in too big of a hurry. Slow down. Why do you do that? And uh, and did you ever try, you know, scramble eggs and make toast at the same time? <laughs> wow. Now that gets difficult because you got to time it just right. You, you you got to, you know, scramble the eggs. Of course, I always put cheese on the scrambled eggs, so i got to put the cheese in just at the right time. Got to start the toast at the right time. And then we use real butter around our house. But, uh, you know, it's not cold butter. You hold it under your arm and let it get warm. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you do what you got to do to get it warm, <laughs> you know, and you got to time it where it all comes out just right. Well, that's why <laughs> when I read this, I thought, oh my, he that hasteth with his feet, always in a hurry, you know, and we'll be going somewhere, driving down the road, and she said, what's the hurry? 
you know, wherever I'm going, I'm going there in a hurry. I think I know somebody else kind of like that, but I won't mention their name. But to understand this, we have to interpret in the light of the first part. And what we see here is haste as opposed to knowledge. And, uh, you know, because the one is explained here, then we see in regards to knowledge and the importance of it. But the idea is he that makes haste is somebody that just goes on hurriedly, somebody that does whatever they do without consideration for what the end result is going to be. They don't think about where their actions is going to lead, and uh, they're, they're impatient, and they just run ahead of themselves. And there's an old Arab proverb that I run across that said, patience is the key to joy, but haste is the key of sorrow. Now, I'm not certain what all they meant by that, but I certainly can see the wisdom of it. The person that is always in a hurry, it's going to lead to, to sorrow. And Isaiah 28, 16 says, He that believeth shall not make haste. And so I started thinking about this verse in the light of that as it is opposed uh, to, to, to knowledge or, or contrasted with knowledge. And you got the fellow, by the way, if you want to learn anything, you know, it takes discipline to sit there and read, right? Or, you know, to even make, make it through a class. You've got to really focus. You've got to do that intentionally, you know. The teacher can't force you to learn. And uh, so it takes effort on your part. On the other hand, you can be in a hurry and ignorant, you know, you know real easy. That it doesn't take much effort. You can be you can be fast at, at at not doing anything because you're just running hither and there, and and you end up not getting anything accomplished. Uh, I want to get off of that. I uh, cooked enough for tonight. Verse 3, the foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. The foolishness of man perverteth his way. You know, we wonder sometimes, why are they doing what they're doing? You know, talk about the government, whatever. Notice the foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Just that last phrase tells me this is a really serious verse. He's talking about fretting against the Lord. Boy, if ever anything showed the folly of a fool, this is it. Fret against God. Now, generally when we use the word fret, we think of it in the sense you're fretting over something. We think about it like worry and anxiety and what have you. That's not what this word means. This word means to boil up. It is a word that means to be peevish. It means to be angry. Now think about that. Somebody that's fretting against the Lord, that's somebody that's angry with God. Somebody that the anger is just boiling up within them against God. Let me tell you, that's one fight you're going to lose every single time. You're not going to win that fight. And you would be amazed if you knew how many people 
entertain that feeling toward the Lord. They, they Listen, they might not come out and say it. They might not tell you, you know, I'm really angry with God, although I've had people make that statement. But most people won't. But that's what's going on in their life. And it's not anything new. It goes all the way back to Adam, really, whenever... You know, Adam sinned against the Lord, and what did he do? He blamed God. He said, it's a woman you gave me. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, we wouldn't be in this mess we're in if it wasn't for you, God. You gave me that woman, and she got me in trouble, and so he's shifting the blame. And that that kind of thinking just carried right on because in the first person that was born, you know, Cain, then he ends up, why did he kill his brother? Kill his brother because he's mad at God. He's angry at God. God wouldn't accept his, his, his offering, and so he, he takes it out on his brother, you see. And so all down through history, we have find people that have got all been out of shape, and whether they stated or not, they are angry with God because things didn't turn out the, like they wanted them to. Now, if I was going to take the full amount of time, we would talk not only about the reality of it, but the reasons for it. But I want to mention quickly at least three things that causes this. Number one, sometimes we fret against God because of stress. We're under stress. And whenever, listen, when we get under stress, a lot of times if we don't handle it right, we act out of character. You and I both know that happens sometimes. Uh, There might be sometimes you'll use a word or make a statement that you normally wouldn't make. And somebody, you know, get in your face or somebody cut you off out here in the highway and and all of a sudden you're acting out of character. And, And a lot of times when the pressure is on and people get in a position like that and all of a sudden they find themselves being resentful of God himself because after all, God let this happen and it's really not fair. Let me tell you, God doesn't make any mistakes. Whatever happened is fair. And so he makes no mistakes, and, 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 and we end up making things worse when we get angry with God because it's just simply not going to work. I, uh, I think about David, and when Uzzah went out and he touched the, he, he touched the ark, you know, and whenever he wasn't supposed to, and God killed him. And David got all been out of shape about that. He got angry. Uh, with the Lord, just it says that David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. So here he is getting upset, in fact, to the point that he abandoned the project and he left the ark at the house of Obedidim and walked off and left it. You know, I'm through, I'm out of here. It's always amazed me how people quit on God whenever, you know, things don't go their way, and so they just throw in the towel and quit on God. Now, look, we're talking about David, a man after God's own heart. This isn't what David normally would do, but David has had a lot of stress on him. Whenever that happened, why he doesn't know how to deal with it. And so a lot of times we fret against the Lord as a result of stress. Listen, it might be because of selfishness on our part, that tendency to think more of ourselves than what we ought to. So we, you know, we think God owes us more than what we have, so we fret about it. It might be sin in our life. Willful disobedience against God ultimately causes us to fret against the Lord. And that's why people rant and rave and 
and, and, and even though it doesn't change anything, they're angry. No doubt you've met someone, probably several people, that you can just tell there's something wrong with them. This person has every reason to be happy, and they're absolutely miserable. Uh, somebody that just, uh, they're, they're, ne- they're never content. You're wondering, what's going on in their life? And unbeknown to us, you know, down to the, at the very root of it is their rebellion against God and the fact, you know, that they can't sin successfully. They've sinned against God. They don't repent of it. They refuse to make it right. So things are going wrong. So what do they do instead of making it right? They fret against the Lord. They get angry with God as a result of it. The solution is to repent of the sin. Don't blame God because things go wrong after you violated His law. Now, if we had time, we could talk about how ridiculous all of this is when you stop and think about it. To fret against God. I mean, after all, number one, that's about as stupid as it can be. You know, that's kind of like a that's kind of like a little child trying to judge the wisdom of of, of its parents. It's like a like a kid that wants to run the household. It's like putting the boys a boy scout in charge of the army. It's like putting the inmates in charge of the uh, of the prison. You see. That's about the way it is. They're, listen, they're not qualified for that, that position. Whenever we think about our relationship to God and the stuff that goes on in the world, think about how ridiculous it is that we would get angry with God because things are not going the way we want them to go. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know where we ever got the idea that everything's supposed to turn out the way we want it to be. But it's just not that way. And and by the way, God God is not going to give in. You know, we think about little kids and they'll get whiny because they want this and they want that, you know. And so after a while, now you can do this legally when you become a grandparent, but but after a while you give in, you know. Well, I, go ahead, get, give, her, give her that piece of candy. That's not going to hurt anything at all, you know. So we... We spoil them. Let me tell you, God doesn't spoil His kids that way. God knows when we are able to receive a gift with the right attitude. And there are a lot of times, you mark it down, there are a lot of times that God is compelled to withhold things from us that He wants to give to us because He knows that at that stage of our spiritual development, it's not something good for us. And so he has to withhold it. Look, when that happens, just attribute that to the wisdom of God, folks. And not only God's wisdom, but God's love. Uh, you know, as, think about as much as God loves you, he's not intentionally going to do something. In fact, he's not going to do anything unintentionally to hurt you. I think it was uh, the morning manna today talking us talking about, you know, the deal with the sword in the Husband puts the sword to the, right up to the wife, and she is laughing about it. You know, aren't you afraid of me? This sword could kill you. She said, no, it's in the hands of somebody that, that loves me. Now, let me tell you, that's the way it is with your trials and the afflictions and the things you go through. All of those things are in God's hands, and because of His love, you don't need to worry about it. Well, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. There's several other things we could talk about, but... Uh, 
Maybe we ought to mention the remedy for it. And we could talk about a lot of things in that regards, but I can make that really short. The remedy, the remedy for fretting against God is to be reconciled with God. That word reconciled is just a word that means to bring two opposing parties together. That's what peace is, by the way. Peace is bringing two parties together. And whenever we are reconciled to God, that simply means that we're on the same page with God. And whenever we get on the same page with God, all of a sudden we stop fretting against God. We're no longer angry with God. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard people say, you know, preacher, I used to go to church, but I don't go anymore because I'll tell you why. My grandma was the godliest woman I ever knew. And she laid there on that bed and died of cancer and suffered for two or three months before she died. And, I, I, you know, I just can't believe a, a good God would do something like that. Now, listen, I'm, I've heard those exact words many, many times over. And let me tell you, that is a cop-out. God has a right to do whatever He wants to do, and He never makes a mistake when he does it you say yeah but how could god do it listen whenever god allows something like that and by the way good people have bad problems they really do some of the best people have the worst problems but the wonderful thing about it is when god allows his children to go through problems like that don't ever forget this his grace is always sufficient to get them through it and whenever they come out on the other side of the storm all of a sudden, they've had an experience they've never had before, and they know more about God than they ever knew before. And they look back, and like the psalmist said, it was good for me to be afflicted. That, isn't that what we mean when we quote Romans eight twenty eight? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, are the called according to His purpose. And that verse is true. And because it's true... Uh, I can sleep on that. I can depend on that. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up in verse number four. Uh, let's see.